Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I preached the following message on November 12, 2017 at Hampton United Methodist Church. Mostly, this sermon addresses the tragedy of Sutherland Springs, Texas, the, the massacre which took place one week before I preached this sermon. And mostly I wanted to address Sutherland Springs because of some troubling things that I read online, especially on social media, calling into question the effectiveness of prayer. And in this sermon, I address the question, how are we to understand the many promises in God's word for provision, especially for God's children? in light of tragic events like Sutherland Springs. Is prayer effective? Is God listening? Does God care? How can we know? Well, that's what this sermon is about. I'm going to read the scripture, which is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so this is a great scripture that Ray just read, one of my favorites. I am just only going to scratch the surface, unfortunately, today. I say unfortunately. I, I promise I'll come back to it in the next couple of weeks Um, as I continue to preach from Philippians during this Thanksgiving season. But the events of last Sunday, I feel feel like I need to say something about that. Um, And I will. It does tie into today's scripture a little bit. um, Oh, a lot, actually. But I only have a small amount of time to explore the ways in which it does. Last Sunday, as you know, around this time... Around the time that we were gathered here at Hampton during our 11 o'clock service, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ were gathered at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas, when a gunman armed with a Ruger military-style rifle walked into the sanctuary and opened fire. Within minutes, 26 of our brothers and sisters, ranging in age from 5 to 12, were dead. Another child, by the way, named Carlin Bright Holcomb, hadn't yet been born when he and his mother, Crystal Holcomb, were killed. They were not so different from us. Small town like Hampton, 
in church, worshiping just like we are, singing hymns just like we do, praying just like we do, reading scripture, listening to sermons. It just so happens a guest preacher was filling in that day. The, the pastor of the church and some of his family were, were out of town. But the guest preacher and his family were killed. But one of the, the poignant details that stands out to me, because I am a, I'm a pastor, because I have a daughter, was this. The pastor's 14-year-old daughter, who didn't go out of town with her father, chose to go to church. Because after all, that's what Christians do on Sundays. That's what her mother and father had raised her to do. That's what she wanted to do because she loved Jesus. And people who love Jesus take every opportunity to worship him in church. And that's where she was when she was killed. A day or two after the shooting, we Americans were arguing as we always do in the aftermath of one of these tragedies about gun control on the one hand and Second Amendment rights on the other. And I promise I have no interest in talking about that question. But it was within this tired political context that Michael McKeon a talented actor and comedian whom I admire, tweeted a controversial tweet. His, he, uh, he was apparently disappointed that so many politicians are, are, are quick to urge others to pray, to pray for the victims, to pray for the families while taking no further action. So he tweeted this. They were in church, they meaning the victims at the church in Texas. They were in church They had the prayers shot right out of them. Maybe try something else, he said. They had the prayers shot right out of them. A lot of people found this, in the very least, deeply insensitive. He retracted it, saying he didn't at all mean to attack people's faith. But you couldn't help but read in between the lines of his tweet. What good is prayer? What does it really accomplish I mean, here were praying people, after all, in the buckle of the Bible belt. What good did prayer do for them? Later, a headline in an otherwise good and heartbreaking article in the New York Times uh, read as follows. A family was praying in a Texas church. Then eight were dead. Again, one subtle message here is What good is prayer when a family of eight praying people are dead in an instant? Maybe I'm being overly sensitive here, but I am a pastor after all. The last thing Americans need is uh, is an incentive to pray less than they do. Even less incentive to, to trust in God, to trust in his goodness, to trust in his power, to trust in his sovereignty. And in last week's sermon... I told you about Paul, who was praying earnestly that that God would release him from the prison he was in when he wrote this letter to the Philippians to to, to free him from prison so he could get out and continue his his life's work of of sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and, and planting churches. He can't plant churches in prison. So that was his fervent prayer. But do you know how God answered the apostles prayer 
God told him no. Probably not in an audible voice, but God's answer to Paul was clear as Paul was led to a scaffold for his execution. Did prayer work out for Paul? Was prayer a waste of time for Paul? Of course not. After all, prayer isn't mostly about asking God to give us things, even perfectly good things like safety, protection, health. For ourselves or for people that we love. These are fine things to pray for. But if we take the Lord's Prayer as our model for prayer, we see that prayer is mostly about praising and glorifying God, seeking God's will, seeking the power that he can give us to carry out his will in this evil and fallen World, Even when we pray, deliver us from evil, we're not mostly praying for protection from evil people or protection from the devil. We're praying that no matter what evil people do to us, no matter what the devil does to us, they will not have the power to keep us from glorifying God and doing God's will and enjoying God forever. We should fear God and we should fear our sin more than we fear what evil people can do to us or what the devil can do to us. So in the week, in the wake of of Sutherland Springs, Did God let his children down? Did God fail his children? Did God disappoint them? These were praying people after all. Consider Jesus' own words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the Gentiles seek after these, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus promises that his Father will give us everything we need if we seek first the kingdom. Yet Jesus himself later warns, That all of us disciples who are faithful to Christ will be persecuted. And he says that some of them will even be killed. These were people who were seeking God's kingdom. And they are going to be killed. Just as his. Just as Paul would later be killed. Just as Stephen, the first martyr in the church, would be killed. Just as James, the son of Zebedee, one of the twins, would be killed in Acts chapter 12. Just as the apostle Peter, who Jesus told, would be killed by crucifixion toward the end of his life. Just as these 26 brothers and sisters in Christ in Sutherland Springs, were killed. All of these people were killed seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. I don't know if the 26 in Texas were killed because of their Christian faith or what role, if any, that played. Maybe none. Maybe it had something to do with it. But they were killed (laughs) 
while they were being obedient to the Lord, because they were in church worshiping on the Lord's day, the way Christians are supposed to do. So they were seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, and they were killed in the process. So how can how can God tell us on the one hand that we'll have everything we need in Christ if we're faithful to him, but at the same time, warn us that we can and show us in his word that we can be killed because of our faithfulness. See, our problem is what we think we need versus what God knows that we need. We think we need comfort. We think we need health, prosperity, safety, a long life. God may or may not bless us with these things, with these gifts, but he knows That's not what we need. We need exactly one thing, those of us who are Christians. We need to have the faith, to have the courage, to have the grace, to have the strength that we need to do God's will and to be eternally and supremely happy and satisfied in God alone. That's a prayer that God says yes to every time. That's a promise that God fulfills no matter what we're facing, even if we're facing death. And so God answered that prayer and fulfilled that promise and did not disappoint those 26 brothers and sisters in Christ who died in Sutherland Springs one week ago. They're not disappointed in the Lord right now. And neither is 86-year-old Joe Holcomb, who lost every single member of his family in one fell swoop, his children and all of his grandchildren. He told the New York Times, we know where they are now. All of our family members, they're all Christian. And it won't be long until we're with them. How can these Victims be disappointed when they're in heaven right now with the Lord. And how can surviving friends and family who believe in Jesus be disappointed knowing that they're in heaven and that their separation from them, however painful in the short run, is only temporary. Brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, our treasure is not on this earth. It is waiting for us in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Devin Patrick Kelly did not touch that treasure. He couldn't if he tried. Thank God. So by all means, we pray this morning for the family and the friends who are left behind, who are grieving because they have lost a great deal, if only temporarily. But these 26 victims lost Nothing. They gained everything. They gained eternity. This is what Paul means in Philippians 1 when he says to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. To die is gain. Either we believe it or we don't, but that's the gospel truth. Brothers and sisters, do you believe it? Do you believe it? If you believe it, will you say amen? Amen. I'm not surprised that in the last week, Many skeptics have questioned the value of prayer, have questioned the value of believing in God when he seems to do so little, according to them. Why didn't God do anything to keep these people safe 
But of course, God did do something. God himself, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, suffered and died on a cross to ensure that even a gunman's bullet could not separate these 26 victims from him and from his great love. So this reflection that I've offered just now on the events of last Sunday, do do they sound crazy? Do, Do my words seem crazy? Well, I'm sure the world thinks so. Because from the world's perspective, the very worst thing that can happen to any of us is that we die. From the world's perspective, therefore, we need to do everything we can to preserve our lives on this earth for as long as we can. In fact, one reason, and this, this is a good reason, one reason we celebrate our veterans uh, this past week and on this Sunday is because Because they have one of the few jobs in our country, obviously law enforcement and firefighters share this responsibility too, but they have one of the few jobs in which we ask them to risk their lives, to potentially lay down their lives if necessary to protect us. And many have laid down their lives over the centuries and many more will in the future. But every single one of the men and women who stood up and were recognized in this service accepted the possibility that their country would ask them to give what Lincoln calls the last full measure of devotion. And for that alone, they deserve our undying respect, gratitude and praise. Just yesterday, my family and I were at or my boys and I were at Bobby Dodd Stadium watching our beloved Yellow Jackets beat the Hokies. It's about two years in a row. <laughs> um, the, whole, the whole game, they were doing things to honor veterans. And at halftime, at halftime, there were probably four dozen. It's 31. 31. In, well, four dozen, three dozen, 31. There were 31 young people gathered on the field who were being sworn in to the services, who were, who were uh, taking the oath of en- enlistment, which, by the way, says, I state your name to solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the uniform code of military justice, so help me God. The young young men and women taking this oath were in the prime of their lives. For each one of them, most of their life was in front of them. I mean, at 18, 19, 20 years old, they were just getting started in life. They are just getting started. And yet each one of them is saying in so many words, I'm prepared to sacrifice this life that's in front of me if I have to for the sake of this country, for the sake of this calling. And it's very possible that a few of those, I hate to be morbid, but I had this thought yesterday. It's very possible that a few of those down on that field will one day do exactly that. I hope not, but it's possible. Brothers and sisters, I share this with you because our Lord asks us to enlist in his army, to fight 
side by side with one another, not face to face with one another as people in church too often do, but side by side. If you look ahead in scripture to verse 25 of chapter two, Paul refers to Epaphroditus. He calls him my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Isn't that great? Our war, as always, is a spiritual one, not ultimately against flesh and blood, as Paul says elsewhere, but against the spiritual forces of evil, against the principalities and powers, as the King James says. And when we enlist in the Lord's army, we do so knowing that it might kill us. And indeed, it does kill thousands of Christians around the world every year, more now than ever before. But in America, we will, if we remain in America, we will likely stay physically safe. But we do accept the possibility that the Lord might ask us to lay down our lives for his sake. And and we ought to do so gladly. I've told you before that the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, requires its confirmants to answer this question. And the question is this. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? (laughs) And their beloved 12 and 13-year-old children answer that question, yes, I'd rather suffer all, indeed, I'd rather die than to fall away from the Christian faith. How would we answer that question? But even if we don't die physically in this war, our Lord summons us every day to die spiritually. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. And Jesus makes this same point when he he beckons us to take up our cross daily and follow him. A cross is an instrument of torture and death. And yet this is what we're called to do. We are called to die spiritually every day out of allegiance to Christ. And what does, what are we dying to every day? Paul tells us two things in today's scripture. In verse three, we're dying to selfish ambition and conceit. Now notice Paul is not saying that having ambition is wrong. But the question is, is our ambition directed toward God's glory or toward our own? Even in church, we can appear to have an ambition for, you know, the Great Commission, an ambition for spreading the gospel, an ambition for for serving in Jesus name. But at the same time, we desperately want other people to recognize us for it, to see us doing it, to appreciate us. And so our effort to glorify God ends up being an effort to glorify ourselves. And this pursuit of our own glory is also found in the next word that Paul uses. It's translated conceit, but the Greek word underneath that English translation is a compound word that it's called a kinodoxia, and it literally means empty glory. 
And it describes our our human condition. We want desperately to have glory for ourselves. We are so hungry for it. We desire it so deeply. And this goes back to the very first sin in human history. Remember Adam and Eve. What was it that Satan promised them? That they would be like God. Well, who is the one person in our world, in our universe, beyond our universe, who deserves every ounce of glory that we could possibly give anybody or anything. It is God alone who deserves the glory. But now, because of sin, we're like God, or we want to be God. And so we are so hungry for that glory that belongs to our Lord alone. And it harms us, and it harms our families, and it harms our workplaces, and it harms our country, and it even harms our church. Put this pursuit of your own glory to death, Paul says, and live your life for the glory of the one who truly deserves all the glory. By the way, who deserves infinitely more glory than even our own nation. So if the United States is worth fighting and dying for, and it is, to say the least, our Lord Jesus Christ is worth fighting and dying for. And although he likely won't call us to die physically, he is calling us to die spiritually every day. Are we doing it? Are we, are we learning? Are we learning to treasure God above all earthly treasures. I hope I'm learning it. I hope I am. I know that in as much as I do that in my life, guess what? I'm a happier person. And we believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit is living within us. The Holy Spirit has has changed us within and has given us the ability to treasure God more than we treasure earthly things. But we're supposed to work at it. And by the Holy Spirit, we are We are being changed from within. In this past week, I received an email from a former church member of Hampton UMC. She she moved away to another state, but she reached out to me by email because she was deeply troubled by the events of last Sunday. She wanted to, to know how we make sense of an act of evil like that. She said, I go to Joseph in Genesis 50 describing the evil that his brothers did to him. Joseph told his brothers, you meant this for harm. You meant this evil that you did for harm. But God intended it for good and for the saving of many. And this goes back to what I preached on last week when I said that God has this amazing ability to transform evil into something good for those of us who love him. Anyway, uh, this person continues. So Genesis 50 helps me stay balanced. But this, referring to the events of last Sunday, didn't happen to me personally. It happened to them. Could I still find peace if it were my child who had been shot in front of my eyes? Well, that's a good question. My first response is God does not promise to give us grace to face hypothetical suffering. That is suffering that we ourselves have not experienced. 
He gives us grace to face real suffering that we do experience. So our sister in the Lord shouldn't be surprised that she doesn't feel peace about the prospect of losing a child like that because she hasn't lost a child like that. If she did, I believe that she could have the grace she needs to remain faithful, just like she's had the grace to remain faithful in front of any number of trials that she's faced up to this point in her life. My second response is this, and I shared this a few weeks ago at a Sunday evening service. God does not promise to give us grace a moment before we actually need it. I'm sure the survivors of last week's attacks and their loved ones are finding in themselves reservoirs of strength and courage that they didn't know they had before because they didn't have it before. They have it now by God's grace. And finally, this I also shared a few weeks ago that when I when I hear about events like Sutherland Springs and it could be any number of recent events, unfortunately, It's not so much that I'm afraid of death. I mean, I believe in Jesus. I I really do. And I really know that my treasure is is in heaven. And and I look forward to to meeting the Lord. And I know that it's going to be glorious. And I look, we can all look forward to that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I believe that with all my heart. But when I hear about Sutherland Springs, I actually... I'm afraid of the dying part. You know what I mean? Do you see the difference? Not of being dead, but of actually dying. How horrifying. How horrifying to die the way those victims of the massacre last weekend died. But I say this to myself and I say this to you if it helps you. God promises us Grace to handle the moment of our death. We don't have that grace now, but we will when that time comes. Amen? Amen. Gracious God, we are sad, but we are hopeful. We grieve, but as Paul says, we do not grieve as the heathens do. Because we know that your son Jesus came into the world in order to rescue us from the consequences of sin, which is death, which is hell. And for those who place our place our faith in Jesus, we can be confident that death is not the end. Death is not a portal to eternal suffering or to you know, ceasing to exist. Death instead is the entry into a new and better kind of life. Indeed, to die is gain. Comfort us with those words, with that truth, and help all of us to remember in light of last Sunday that our lives are in this world are fragile. They can be gone in an instant on this side of eternity. So let us all be ready. Let us all do what you ask us to do, what you command us to do, 
to be faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on Sunday morning, I hope you'll consider worshiping with us at Hampton United Methodist Church. We're we're on West Main Street in downtown Hampton, Georgia. We have two worship services. We have an acoustic contemporary service at 9 o'clock and a more traditional service at 11 o'clock. Hope to see you there.